Drilling fluids touch just about everything in the drilling process. We're here to deconstruct the drilling process and drilling fluid concepts to provide a deeper understanding of our industry. In each episode, we'll share information, talk to interesting people, and maybe share a few stories along the way. Welcome to The Flow Line, a production of AES Drilling Fluids, brought to you by Matt Offenbacher and Justin Gautier. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of The Flow Line. Hopefully, everyone had a great holiday. Matt, how are you doing, and how's everything in your world today? Man, can't complain. Just, you know, ready to get after it, I guess. <laughs> that's it. That's it. Speaking of getting after it, Matt, a lot of times in our line of work, there's engineering involved, complex, calculus, derivatives, all that kind of stuff, right? There is, unfortunately. And so I usually just have to go find somebody else to do it for me. (laughs) Yeah, I'm good at that. It's all about being resourceful nowadays. You know what I mean? Well, you know, it's these younger guys that might actually be able to remember some of it that you hope for. But now, at the same time, it's one of those, it's like, dang it, you know, when I had to do this in school, I swore that I would never deal with it again once I got out. And it was like, no, math still matters. Yeah, exactly. And I was being comical about, I mean, Matt may do calculus still. I definitely do not. However, as mud engineers, a lot of times we are required, and most oftentimes we are required to still do math. And a lot of folks on the rig still do it by hand. I did a few calculations by hand, most of which I got pretty savvy with Excel in college. So I built pretty much a tool or an Excel calculator for just about everything. But if you're on the pits and you, you, know, you don't have time to run back to your computer, sometimes you got to do it by hand. And so I thought it would be a good idea, Matt, just to run, not necessarily run through the formulas of a lot of the calculations that us in the mud world calculate, but just going over some of the stuff that in our line of business, what we calculate and perhaps why it's important. Yeah, I think it's a great idea. You know, it's interesting because you kind of can't get away from it. It's one of those, you learn the formulas like the back of your hand, as much as even with smartphones and other things where you could always pull it up and, you know, know that you're not going to be wrong because you checked your work on that spreadsheet before or whatever. There just always come up scenarios where you're like pencil and papering something or, you know, you're on the pits and somebody walks out like, how many strokes to bottoms up or whatever. And you're just kind of caught off guard and, oh, shoot, I better, let me get my act together kind of thing. Yeah. So yeah, definitely no matter what, even though I'm sure people are trying to automate everything they can think their way through, this is one of those you probably can't get away from nearly as easily as a lot of the other math involved in engineering and fluids. Yeah. And if for all of us who've taken mud school, it's critical that you understand these because it's part of passing. I think unless you can calculate some of these sort of basic math problems or whether it's concentrations, volumes, bottoms up, a lot of which we're going to talk about, you need to know those in order to pass mud school. So that's another thing for anyone looking to pass mud school, having a basic understanding of math is definitely good. Would you say? Absolutely. I mean, and it's probably one of the most difficult things because it's a huge part of every test. As much as they're testing head knowledge and maybe some chemistry, every single unit involves some form of math. And then there's like the main engineering calculations as well. Yeah. And so, you know, and it's algebra, which, okay, yeah, you know, middle schoolers take algebra, that's fine. But like, if you haven't dealt with it in a while, it, it's kind of challenging to kind of brush off some of the rust and get back to doing it. <laughs> Yeah. So yeah, it matters and it probably will drive you to come up with your own spreadsheets to check your work, but you probably won't be allowed to do that on the test. You probably have to have the old classic, you know, Casio (laughs) four function. 
That's it. Let's go ahead and get started on some of the main calculations. And I would say probably the most common one right out of the gate would be calculating volumes. And Matt, just you know, a brief overview of what is volume and, and what are some of the volumes on a rig or even in the office or some of the volumes that we calculate in the mud world? Well, I mean, you know, you always need to know how much fluid you have on location and that's in storage and circulating, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, think about all your tanks and the pits, you know, how are they lined out? And then of course, now that we've got conical bottom tanks, are they actually marked or do I have to do measurements? Am I calculating barrels per inch? Round frack tanks, which are probably the one everybody loves, right? A horizontally placed round frack tank that, you know, you're measuring from the top and most of them have markers, but many times I was strapping from the top, trying to figure out how much volume we actually had. And it's a really annoying calculation. You think about all of that as far as volumes, then think about your hole. So like with pipe in the hole, without pipe in the hole, annulus inside the drill string and all this stuff's changing too, right? Like you keep drilling ahead. So your hole keeps getting bigger. You keep adding more pipe. So it's not just, it's the, you know, that moment when you record a depth, you might be calculating it, but it's going to keep changing and, you know, your new fluid transfers, you're going to do other things. And so it's a big balancing act and Normally, I feel like on your rig, you sort of get used to how to calculate or you come up with your own chart after doing some math using one of those spreadsheets. But my gosh, there's a lot of volumes. And then, you know, you go back to how much volume I think I'm going to need, you know, transportation for trucking. If it's oil-based mud that's mixed in a plant, what volumes I'm going to use from the plant, all of that good stuff. Yeah. And one thing too, actually, you brought back sort of some memories as being on a rig regarding tank volumes, oftentimes when you go to a rig, whether it's Payson or whatever platform they use, they'll oftentimes have, you know, say pit volume and it'll tell you, well, I can't tell you how many times I went to a rig and I actually, you know, brought out the measuring tape, you know, and and did my best at calculating actual tank volumes. And then, you know, the distance from the top to be able to figure out fuel to bottom. And a lot of times it could be anywhere from 10, 15% off. And so that's one thing, you know, with regards to you know, pit markers and stuff like that, understanding how to properly calculate tank volumes and then to frack storage volumes, everything else, but don't always rely on your pace on. And again, I say pace on just because it's the one that comes to mind, but again, yeah, you're Canadian, that's what that means. <laughs> yeah, probably Every so. Canadian I've ever met calls it the pace on no matter what it, Kleenex, <laughs> whatever. Coke. Yeah. <laughs> no, you're absolutely right. Yeah. And not only that, but like you need to know because sometimes those floats can hang up. There can be other, you know, yeah. there can be other things that happen. And then, you know, we've talked about even where you go during a rig move or something, they alter something in the fluid path or fix something and it changes. And so it's, yeah, take your own measurements. Usually I know it's a pretty good mud engineer because they'll be like, well, this is what it says in the doghouse, but this is what it really is. And so everybody's tracking everything with the right level of precision, but just going by those electronic sensors is definitely not how I would do it. Right. Yeah. You can never go wrong with the old sash cord and nut too. That's always a good one. Well, that's essential. That is the most important piece of technology shy of the <laughs> coffee can on a stick for a mother engineer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Moving on to another one here, capacity. Matt, what is capacities? So, I mean, capacity could be any number of things, but if you think about the capacity in a drill pipe or encasing, let's say I'm going to spot something. How do I know? Let's say, you know, we've talked about doing a high fluid loss squeeze. 
how much capacity is inside the pipe. So how many barrels do I pump, you know, to make sure that my pill gets outside, you know, and typically, you know, you might have this in a table and, you know, barrels per foot. And if it's pipe or casing, it'll be a very small number and you multiply it times the number of feet you have, but you can calculate how much fluid can fill something, the volumetric displacement. It pretty much ties directly back to volumes, but just, it goes back to just understanding that you can also calculate this yourself sort of by, even though there are charts, you can basically treat it like pipe in the ground or something like that. So not fun. There's a number of different ways to do it, but when you're thinking about how much fluid is it going to take to fill this string or I'm coming out of the hole, how much fluid will it take to fill the hole? Mm -hmm. And how will I know that I'm not losing a bunch while I'm coming out of the hole or something like that? It's useful information and something you should know how to calculate. Yeah. And again, you know, with regards to volumes, capacities and volumes, those here in the US, you know, we prefer barrels and the fellows from the North and other parts of the world would be meters cubed. And then volume two could be gallons. But again, I know this is obvious information, but just wanted to make sure, you know, units are important because oftentimes if you just write down a number and you're sharing that with someone or someone with relief notes, units are extremely important. So just want to put that out there. Next, moving on to annular velocities. Yeah. So I think to me, this one is just knowing what they are because hole cleaning is such a sort of oil field boogeyman thing. Like, oh, we're having some problems. It must be that we're not getting the hole clean. And with the pump capacities we have, that's generally not the case. But the fastest way to shut that down is to be able to cite the annular velocity and be like, you tell me I can't get cuttings out of this, you know? And if you're going to be that smart guy, make sure you pick the largest annulus because, <laughs> yeah. you know, it could be one of those where you may actually have an issue where you have a telescoping screw, a string, or I've seen offshore where we had a liner and tie back and hole cleaning was an issue because you had a, you know, a liner and then up above it, the casing was a much larger annulus. And so everything was slowing down as you got near the vertical section. And so it's another way to communicate like, Hey, maybe we need to do something different here. So being able to quickly calculate, you know, okay, I've got this much annular space and I'm pumping at this rate. It's pretty good for shutting some of those whole cleaning questions down and saying, Hey, we've got the flow regime we need. Right. And there's a lot of rule of thumbs out there. And I don't want to put you know, writing out into the ether here or numbers into either. But, you know, generally speaking, there's, you know, two to 300, depending on the whole size, everything else. Again, I'm not going to say this is what you need, but it's generally in feet per minute. And so again, and if you're looking at it and you're looking at your pump rate, it's one thing, but really depending on your whole size relative to your OD of your drill pipe, that is very important to consider. So yeah, it's a very quick check to say, Hey, you know, it could lead you into calculating other things such as hole cleaning modeling, but a quick, easy calculation would be the speed of which your fluid is moving in your annulus. It can be an easy identifier for other problems coming down the pipeline, no pun intended. But another one would be circulating times. This one is very common. Oftentimes, you know, most, including myself, would create you know spreadsheets, print them off, bring them to the doghouse or what have you. But Matt, how would you describe circulating times and what kind of times would we be as my engineers looking at out there in the field? So you could have the full circulating volume. How long does it take that whole system to go, you know, down the pipe, out the annulus, back into the suction, right? So that can be useful for a couple of different things, you know, at least for me. One is, you know, when we're having conversations about product yield, especially something that takes a little while, like an organophilic clay, you know, if we get a call and they've said, hey, you know, I added some product, really not seen anything. Like how many circulations has the product seen? 
because you're just getting impatient. Maybe you're not giving it enough time or, oh no, you know, something doesn't seem right. I think even with solids control equipment, sometimes we talk, oh, the mud's not cleaning up or, you know, this stuff only takes about 10% of the whole circulating system at any, it's going to take a while. Let's figure out how many times that, you know, we've passed through that equipment, especially since we screened up, but then you know, probably, you know, even more common would just be bottoms up, right? You know, how long does it take a sweep to return to surface or, you know, depending on how you're doing cleanup cycles and that sort of thing, you get to TD and somebody wants to know, okay, once the fluid leaves a bit, how long does it take to get from the bottom of the hole all the way up? And we're going to wait five bottoms up as our sort of rule that we know we've circulated any lingering cuttings and the hole is clean enough to get out of the hole now. So bottoms up can be used for any number of things, but it's very helpful, particularly when you've made a change and you say, okay, well, have I even seen anything at surface yet? So both matter, but bottoms up, I think why bottoms up can matter more is because when someone says we're going to wait five bottoms up or seven bottoms up and you tell them, here's how long one bottoms up takes and you want to do seven and they say, let's do four. Yeah, that's cool. When people are being a little extra cautious, you realize how much rig time, you know, sitting and waiting and We know there's a balance, but sometimes you can be committing to a lot more than you think. So it's a good one to have in your back pocket. You're absolutely right. And one thing too, with full circulating times, I never quite understood this when I was working as a roughneck, the dairy can would always say, you know, I need all these sacks mixed, but I want this sack mixed at three minutes a sack, this sack mixed at one minute a sack. And I could never, you know, at the time I was like, well, how do you know how many minutes per sack to mix? But then, you know, as a mud engineer on a rail, oh, okay, well, he, you know, let's say you want to add a pallet over three circulations. You can then, and again, I never saw this when I was a mud engineer, but I tried doing it. And maybe it's, I don't know, maybe it's an old school method to, you know, the exact precision of how many minutes per sack. But at the end of the day, in order to, you know, if you can calculate your minutes per sack, then you can get in like a consistent amount of product over circulations to avoid property spikes and what have you. But anyway, that was just something sort of comical. I just thought the dairy can was messing with me, but now I understand, oh, there's actually a method to the madness. And so again, if you want to get real precise, you can really get down to it. But just, yeah, so again, you know, sometimes when we have these conversations, my memory, you know, sort of brings, some of these things bring back memories. And so it's kind of funny, but Matt, did you have any, just, I mean, off the top of your head, when you're a mud engineer, any sort of comical, you know, mixing time things like the most common is like, yeah, can you mix, you know, a few sacks an hour? And then all of a sudden wait, you mixed all the sacks. Like, yeah, well, if you extrapolate that over 12 hours, all I needed to add was this many sacks. Like, yeah, but you should have probably waited and not just dumped everything in at once. Did you ever? Well, (laughs) there's always that challenge, right? Like with communication. And I mean, it's funny because it would be like exactly like what you're describing. It's like, hey, can we get this pallet in over the next, you know, eight hours? And like 20 minutes later, you come back and it's gone. And you're like, that wasn't really what I had in mind. You know, but the other part of it is the balance of like trying to be so precise and smooth and then realizing like the Derek hand isn't just going to stand here the whole tower and cut sacks, you know, like there's got to be a happy medium where they don't overdo it. And I don't ask them to do something where they can't do the rest of their job. But certainly overseas, it was funny just because they were supposed to know English, but a lot of the cultures I worked in, even if they knew some, you just didn't know how much they understood. And they generally said yes to everything. And so I got in the habit of getting with someone who could operate the forklift and putting the exact number of sacks that like I felt could be added in a reasonable time. And then I would come back four hours later and have a move more. 
near the hopper just because I was afraid of a miscue and everything getting added all at once, especially when it was, you know, starch and stuff that you really don't want to do that with. And so there was a lot of that. There was a lot of, I remember for some offshore work, we put like a porch screen, you know, on over the hopper. So the only way Uh, they could get the material in was to like sift it over. It's a good idea. Those were just things where it was like, okay, it's definitely going to take you the whole time <laughs> if you got to do it this way. Although I assume when I'm not looking, you're going to move the screen and just dump everything in. But <laughs> the, a rough note to find yeah, a way. That's the tricky part, right? You want consistency. You want it to get through that full circulation and you don't want to see any spikes. But at the same time, you've got to be realistic. Yeah, you're absolutely right there. So some other calculations that we do, and, and these ones are a little bit once they more, well, I guess they could be a little more challenging. Depends how you look at it. But with regards to pressures, Matt, what kind of pressures would we as mud engineers calculate on a rig? I think the first one is just hydrostatic pressure, and this goes back to some of the trap we've talked about in the past, right? Like normally a subsurface team is going to tell you what mud weight to run. We run the mud weight they recommend, but it's not like AES is taking poor pressures and telling people you need to run this mud weight, right? But we do find, I mean, since we're in charge of the drilling fluid system, certainly the equivalent pressures. And then, you know, we use mud caps all the time. So, okay, you know, what weight, how much vertical coverage do I have? And I think we've actually done an episode on this where it's, I have this shut-in pressure. They want to get above that. How much mud weight and how much, you know, vertical coverage is going to control that flow. And then, you know, ECDs can be a, a little trickier and even equivalent mud weight. ECDs just, okay, I'm circulating at this rate. What's the equivalent pressure relative to my static mud weight, which you can calculate. And, you know, going back to some of those equations, being a plastic is far more forgiving and reliable enough for most of the stuff we do. And then equivalent mud weight goes back to some of the, you know, mud cap type things, or even if I'm just trying to keep the hole full or we change mud weights or we're displacing, what is the equivalent mud weight formation seeing as we move? Not as much temperature effects and unconventionals, obviously, but that can be accounted for as well. You know, I know we've discussed some of that in, in the past. So pressures of plenty. Those are tricky ones, short of hydrostatics. The mm-hmm. other ones, I'd say I'm more likely to cheat on those and, and use a software program, but I also yeah. don't expect anybody to confront me on the pits about <laughs> telling them what the ECD is. Right, Exactly. Another very common one would be weight up or even dilution. How would you describe both of those, Matt? Well, I mean, keep in mind that if you're going to add anything, you're going to have growing volume. And so, you know, and you're whatever you may be diluting, you may have less of something that's already in the system. So from a weight up perspective, sometimes this is, you know, hey, we're about to weight up three tenths. I'm not going to have a lot of bayrite, or I'm going to be able to take more bayrite, and we are not that far down this well. Like, let me get some more brought over. And so you sort of do the math and realize what you're up against. And some places require a minimum amount of bayrite on location. And it's not necessarily based on sometimes I've seen the rules which say, you know, you need enough to weight up a pound per gallon, the whole active system. So that's not keep X tons on location or X sacks, that's calculate how much it would take and make sure you have that much. Right. And so, you know, from a weight up perspective, you know, there's that component. The dilution side, I mean, we're constantly diluting, we're constantly building volume, right? Sometimes we do need to track how much we're adding because we know we need to dilute out drilled solids or we don't want to over dilute. We want to, you know, optimize our additions. And so, you know, that one can be extremely dynamic to me because 
let's say you're adding water, diesel, you're measuring a mud cup of this much being added while we're circulating at this rate, I'm pumping at this rate, I'm making this much hole. It can become a little complicated, but having some idea of ballpark of what you're going to put in over the next few hours, where that's going to leave you volume wise is pretty helpful. Yes, it is. No, dilution is one of those things that's a little tricky too, because a lot of times you'll often know like, hey, I, you know, I'm going to start off with X barrels per hour, but it can change. And one thing is you're kind of juggling a few things. You're monitoring how much volume in theory you should be adding versus how much you're actually seeing increase on the pits. And then you got to account for mud loss with cuttings and then you know the added hole volume. So there's a lot of things happening all at once, but if you can you know get a, a good idea of, of what you're sort of benchmark is relative to your ROP. And again, it depends on ROP. So it's one thing to know how to, you know, calculate dilution or what you want to add, but then trying to account for all the other things happening at once. It can get a little bit confusing, but for the most part, as mud engineers, we figured out how to balance all that. And you know where you're supposed to be relative to you know what the operations are. But again, it's a lot of math happening at once for the most part. Matt, and one of the, again, another common one, especially with product additions, that's a large part of our responsibility is measuring concentrations, you know, what to add and, or what we have in the system currently. So Matt, how would you go about concentrations and the importance there? Well, I mean, one, knowing the volume that you're treating and then knowing, you know, either what you think you have or what you're adding. And so, you know, sometimes this could be that you want to touch up wetting agent or emulsifier and you sort of have to make an assumption of what you're probably carrying relative to what the mud looks like or how much you should add relative to how much volume you intend to build. Even, you know, talking about adding LCM or adding Bayrite with adding wedding agent and oil and doing all those things simultaneously. And then, I mean, probably everybody's favorite is, you know, I need to add two pounds per barrel to the whole system and it's a thousand barrels. So I need to add, you know, 2000 pounds of this stuff, which I divide and figure out, you know, how many sacks that is because that's good Derek hand speak. I really love when I assume it's a 50 pound bag and it's really a 40 or, you know, something like that just keeps things interesting. Yeah. But there's a lot of this from a concentration perspective of knowing what you need to add or what you need to add each tower and putting it into a language of, I need five cans of this over the next five hours or those kinds of things where it goes from not only how many pounds I think I need either from pilot testing or just from experience or maintenance going from that to this is the amount of material I have on hand. And this is what I need to add. And maybe I need to get some more if I'm using it at a higher rate than I expected, but tracking concentrations can be tricky, right? It goes back to you're losing mud on cuttings. You have solids control equipment running that might be throwing something out at a more aggressive rate than what you're losing on cuttings. You have, you know, all these other factors, maybe you're losing some stuff down hole. So it's a symphony of sorts. And generally what I found was everything was going okay. Like you were alluding to, you sort of figure out like, okay, if we're drilling at this rate for an hour, let me figure out that much. I'll probably, you know, I'll lose this much off the shakers. I'll build this much to balance that out. I'll make this much hole. And let me just keep, you know, if we have eight more hours of drilling, I can just kind of keep that pace and check myself as I go. That's right. So a little less threatening that way, but you know, it goes back to trying to capture a moment in time with this basic math and then extrapolating into these sort of like very dynamic conditions. You know, the reason you need them on your toes is because things are constantly changing. If everything was static, I think it would be way, way easier to do the job of a mud engineer <laughs> because we could just pause and go do something and then go back. But, you know, it's a lot of algebra. 
And once you learn it and you use it all the time, I mean, it's very hard to forget. It just goes back to, you know, some of these, you'll come up with some rules of thumb or you'll get used to the whole sizes you normally work in and that kind of thing. And then other stuff you'll have to calculate every single time. And yeah, you'll have that stuff memorized because you've exercised that thought process. Right. And because, you know, again, mono engineering has been around for quite a long time. Most of the senior, the vets have tools and Excel sheets that calculate just about anything, even before a lot of these programs were built. But again, it's always one of those trusted, but verify it, you know, run the numbers yourself. If someone sends you a spreadsheet and you're in some sort of whatever critical operation, always double check the numbers to make sure the spreadsheet is correct. Cause if it's not locked, there could be a formula or something misplaced or a cell linked to something that's not even there. So again, just be cautious when you're using a lot of these tools they've been passed around for ages and people like to tweak things and make it their own and put, you know, yes. maybe some fluff in there to make the numbers look a little better. Yes. So it's just always be cautious of that. And I'll just add, you know, it comes back to if somebody says, Hey, how are you doing this? And it's affecting how you report or something like that. You got to be very clear about your method. And what we find sometimes is somebody gets cute with a spreadsheet or what have you. And it's like, well, this is an API or this isn't really an industry norm. And so we're using the same terminology, but we're doing two different things. And even if they're slightly different, that you risk confusing people or affecting their decision-making process. So as much as I know, like some people like to keep their calculations close to the vest because they think they've come up with something clever. They also run the risk of kind of trapping themselves if they aren't very clear on how they're doing it. So yeah, definitely emphasize that you can't trust everything just because it's in a spreadsheet. That's right. So yeah, Matt, those are, again, a lot of the sort of, I would say the typical, you know, day-to-day type stuff, you know, and again, there's lots of stuff out there that you've calculated, I've calculated that I'm sure everyone listening's calculated that we didn't mention, but if there's anything interesting that we left out or that you think we should touch on, please let us know. We're always willing to chat via LinkedIn, or you can send us an email at the flowline podcast at aesfluids.com. Matt, do you have any other closing last words before we let everyone get back to work? I don't think so. I think that was a lot of math. <laughs> yeah. Good deal. Well, again, if anyone has any questions, let us know if you have ideas for a show or simply just want to reach out and say hi. You know, 2022 is exciting. There's lots to look forward to. Please hit us up on LinkedIn. And with that said, be safe, everyone. Until next time. Take care. Thanks for listening. Please tune in next week for another exciting episode of The Flow Line. And remember, may your returns always be full and your trips always smooth. Views expressed in this program belong to participants and not their employees. The program is for informational purposes only and cannot take the place of seeking professional advice. Copyright AES Drilling Fluids.